morning. It's good to see you. Hope you can jump in and uh, eat with us tonight and then hear some of the things the Lord's doing here. Uh, boy, we just don't get a chance to gather together very often and eat together as a church family, as well as to talk about other things that are going on uh, as a church family. So hope you can jump in tonight at five to eat and at six we'll be back in here. So Bill Morgan shared with us last night, and uh, it was a really good time together, and uh, he said, uh, here's two questions to use when you are witnessing. First question, what was it? Anybody remember? Yeah, may I ask you a question? And uh, that's the Jesus style. He was always asking questions. And the second one was what? What does it take to go to heaven? And what was his answer? Well, what is one of God's answers? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And, um, and that is absolutely true. But the chapter that we're jumping into this morning gives a fuller answer than just forgiveness. That's because God is perfect, and heaven is perfect, and the only things that can be with God in heaven have to be Perfect. So what does it take to get to heaven? You have to be perfect. Now, is forgiveness a huge part of that? Absolutely. Am I being critical of asking that question and looking for that answer? Absolutely not. But there's a bigger issue going on, and that is to go to heaven, a person has to be perfect. And that's where our chapter this morning is so helpful in looking at this, as we see that Christ is people's perfecter. I mean, I, I think, Stephen, you should add a line to that song. He's the perfecter of broken, sinful, self-destructive people. He makes us fit for heaven. He makes us fit to be in the presence of God. So grab a copy of the Scriptures, turn over to Hebrews chapter 10, electronic or otherwise. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew in front of you there. And turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going we're gonna to go through the first 14 verses here and uh, see the beauty again of Christ through this lens of how He is the perfecter of people and fits us for heaven. And we haven't done this for a while, but let's do it this morning if you're able. If you would stand with me, please, as we read God's Word, recognizing that this is different than all the other news and all the other information that we've heard this week, unless it came from the Scriptures, and it is something we can stand upon and will never be shaken. So beginning in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 10. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins." But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood 
of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he, Jesus, comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. And after saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins, but he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Let's pray together. Oh, God. Um, impress this truth upon each of our hearts in whatever way we most need it as you see fit. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So verse 1 describes the law and what it was. It was a shadow of good things to come. And we all know what a shadow is, so that doesn't need any description whatsoever. But what is it that he's talking about here, the law? Well, the law um, is, is, of course, a description of, of who God is and how a person can live in relationship with God in a right relationship with other people. And typically, when we think of the law, we think of what? The Ten Commandments, right? And we read the Ten Commandments a few minutes ago. And what, is, what are the Ten Commandments? It's simply a description of this is what it looks like to love God, and this is what it looks like to love other people. And so it really is a description of, of what God created us to be, how He created us to live. And, and while it continues to be a manifestation and description of what God called us to be and how he called us to live, the thing that strikes us every time we read that is, I can't measure up. I cannot live that way perfectly. I fail. Wow. (laughs) Why to get loud on that one? (laughs) I guess everything else I said wasn't. No, never mind. We will just go on from there. And so, um, am I turned? On, am I okay here? Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, that was kind of exciting. Um, so anyway, the law we think of it in terms of the Ten Commandments, and, and it's a description of who God is and His holiness and how He uh, uh, how He created us to live in righteousness with Him and with other people. And yet it reveals our imperfections, our our inability to live that way. And so the law also then includes a way 
that when we break the law to draw near to God. And so in the law, it describes the whole tabernacle system of how a person can draw near to God uh, through an intermediary, the high priest once a year, and through sacrifices. And so the law also describes the various sacrifices that are to be brought because we're sinners who want to draw near to God. And it's in particular the sacrifice that's being emphasized in these 14 verses um, of how a person can draw near to God through the sacrifices. And what is the clear problem that it points out? It is this, animal sacrifices cannot make perfect those who want to draw near. They can't do it. They can't do it for several reasons, and we'll see that in a minute. But notice, first of all, it can't make perfect those who want to draw near. Now, what does it mean to be perfect? It means to be perfect. It means you have never violated any of the laws of God, and when you have violated them, all of those have been paid for somehow some way. And so when you think of the idea of perfect, we would think of something that is, uh, is according to what it was designed to do. How about that? So when we think of material things, you, maybe you're holding a pen or something. If it's a perfect pen, it's, it's accomplishing the purpose for which it was designed to do. When I hold up the pointer here, this is a perfect pointer as long as it accomplishes the purpose for which it was built and designed. When it comes to us as people, God designed us. He intended for us to be perfect in the sense that we would be great lovers of Him, perfect lovers of Him, in fact, and we would be lovers of other people, and that's when we would most glorify Him in our vertical relationship as well as our horizontal relationship. And so that's what it means to be made perfect. And so the problem is, is that animal sacrifices and all the burnt offerings and all the things that were required in the law for violations of the law cannot get a person back to perfection. It cannot make them perfect, no matter how much a person wants to draw near. And so, so people then are stuck. Uh, they know they've sinned against God. They want to draw near to God, and they, they do what God has commanded them to do by taking the burnt offerings or the sacrifices, but they don't do it. They don't do it. And why don't they do it? Well, there's three reasons given here real quickly. They obviously don't do it because they have to continually be offered. If something can accomplish something, it only needs to be done once or however often to accomplish it, and then you never do it again. The fact that the offerings have to continually be offered indicates that they could not make a person who wants to be near to God perfect. The second thing is they do not remove sin, but they remind of sin, verses 2 and 3. They don't cleanse the conscience. And in fact, every year when the high priest would go in on the Day of Atonement, it was just a reminder, oh, sin's not paid for yet. 
We're going to have to do this next year. Sin's not paid for yet. We're going to have to do this next year. And so far from removing sin, it was a constant reminder of people's sin. And thirdly, as it says in verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And so people living under the law of God, the commandments of God, the sacrificial system of God, were stuck in this perpetual, inadequate, yet the best available, God-directed system of living in relationship with God. And they were never able to rest. Hebrews 4 is a whole chapter on what it means to rest in God. They could never rest and say, I am right with God forevermore. Why? Because the law was never intended to do that. It was intended to be a shadow of the reality. And who's the reality that the law is a shadow of? Well, if you look at verse 10, he's named Jesus Christ. One of the few times in the book of Hebrews, actually, that those two names are put together. He is Jesus, the name that was given to him at his, well, before his his birth after his conception, which literally means God is Savior, and Christ means he's the anointed one. He's the one chosen by God. He's the one chosen by God to save people from their sins. And what is really fascinating and is just an amazing experience for you and me is that in verses 5 and 6 and 7, the Spirit of God tells us about a conversation that Jesus had with his Father before the incarnation. I mean, this is crazy. We get to know of a conversation. Now, we know of other conversations that Jesus had with his Father during his early life because the disciples noticed it and wrote down some of those. This is one that happened before his incarnation. Look at it. Verse 5, therefore, when he, Jesus, comes into the world, Jesus says, and he says to his father, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you, father, have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you, father, have taken no pleasure. Then I, Jesus, said to you, father, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. And then the following verses give us some Holy Spirit commentary on that conversation. The conversation is amazing enough. And it comes right out of Psalm 40, three verses out of Psalm 40. But then we have this, com- uh, this uh, commentary in verse, beginning of verse 8. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Now just stop right there for a moment and and think about what a typical human reaction would be to verse 8. God in the law told people that want to draw near to offer sacrifices, offerings, and whole burnt offerings for sin, and yet 
what he commanded and what they do, it says he got no pleasure in. Think about that. You do what God tells you to do, and it tells us he got no pleasure in that. What in the world is going on here? It's because, and you'll see the heart of God in this, even in verse 1, the heart of God does not want his children to always be working to be in a right relationship with him. Father God wants his children to find the rest of knowing that they're his children, knowing that they are his followers, and not always wrestling with that. Now, when we think about God not taking pleasure in these sins and offerings, uh, a couple things might come to mind. One is that there are several times, quite a few times, in the Old Testament where people would present an offering or present a sacrifice not because of their sin, but they wanted to go on sinning, but they would offer the sacrifice and think that the two somehow would transactionally cover each other. In other words, I'm going to keep disobeying, but I'm going to offer this sacrifice to make you happy, God. And, and, and this happens a lot with people. It did in the Old Testament. even does today. And God says he despised their offerings. He hated their offerings. Because the sacrifices, even when they're offered in a right way, were to come out of a sincere heart that wanted to be near to God, not one who wanted to continue to live in rebellion to God while offering the sacrifices to God. So you might remember that Samuel, the prophet, who had anointed Saul as king in a particular battle, uh, Samuel gave the directions to Saul about how he was to destroy Amalek and everything there. And by the way, if you've got kids in little church today, they're learning about Samuel. Not this particular situation, but they're learning about Samuel. And, uh, and what, did Sam, what did Saul do? <coughs> Saul came up with a better idea. And he says, I'm not going to destroy it all. I'm going to keep some of the best to give as a sacrifice. And let me read to you the encounter when Samuel came to him. Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. What's God's looking for? People who are obedient. People who will trust him. People who will follow him. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption, presuming on the Lord, coming up with your own plan when he's clearly stated what his is, is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you as king. There it is. I forgot it was on the PowerPoint. And so, very clearly, when people want to continue in rebellion and sin and, 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 and at the same time offer sacrifices, God hates that. But I don't think that's what it's talking about here. Here it's talking about people who want to draw near to God, people who want to obey God, people who want 
whatever they do to be an integral part of living in a right relationship with God. See, the real issue is here, going back to verse 1, that all of those sacrifices cannot make perfect those who draw near. That's why it didn't please God. It did not make perfect those who wanted to draw near. And so back to this conversation, we see Jesus say three things. He says to his Father, a body you have prepared for me. I will become one of them. It was so important that God become a man and live a perfect life. Because it's not just forgiveness of sins that we need. We also need his perfections given to our account. And then he bodily hang on the cross and to pay for our violations. And he says, just as is written in the scrolls. Remember, the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish people first and foremost. And it's important for Hebrews, Jewish people, to know this wasn't plan B. This was talked about all through the Old Testament. And many of them had grown up in synagogues and they had sat in a synagogue where they unrolled the scroll of some book. And Jesus is saying here, uh, in the scrolls that you have been looking at through all your growing up years in the synagogues, this was all written about me. Josh McDowell in his book, Evidences that Demand a Verdict, lists 61 Old Testament passages fulfilled by Jesus in his body. 61. That doesn't even include how he fulfilled all of the feast and all of the sacrifices. But notice the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ towards his Father. He says, I have come to do your will. I have come to do your will. And because he did the will of the Father, he lived a perfect life. And thus, when he was crucified, he was not crucified for anything he had done wrong. He was crucified and experienced the wrath of his Father for our sins. And so we get credited to account his perfect life and we get our sins taken away. And so by this will, that's such a beautiful statement in verse 10, I've got it underlined in my Bible, by this will. By this will of the Father, by this will of the Lord Jesus Christ, to live out the will of his Father. Look at verse 10. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Let me put it up here. We have been sanctified. Another way, uh, description of sanctified, some of your translations may say this, we have been made whole holy. And holy, of course, is a, an abbreviation in the English for the word whole. You could even put the word perfect in there. Oh, I, I'm jumping ahead of myself. That's in verse 14, actually. We have been sanctified. We have been made whole. We have been made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. What does that mean? It means we are made what we were always intended to be. 
We were made to be right with God and we were made to be right with people. By this will, we have done that. And then he goes on in verses 11 through 13 and just talks about, again, reinforcing that every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Do you, do you get just some of the sense of why God wasn't pleased? Time after time, the same sacrifices. God did not get pleasure in all of those animals being identified and being slaughtered for nothing they'd been done and their blood being spilt and their bodies being burned. But it was necessary as an act of faith for the people for the reality of who Jesus is who through the offering of His body would once for all do what all of those animal sacrifices could not do and that is make people perfect. Verse 12, but he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. As we've said before, that's the picture that it's done. That's done. There are no seats in the tabernacle or no seats in the temple. Why? Because it was never done. By the way, I understand it's the same way at Home Depot. Home Depot has no places for any of their employees to sit down. Yeah, now you're going to think about that next time you go in there. <laughs> That's the way it was in the temple. The priest's job was never done. Never done. Never done. And it was a necessary shadow to the reality of who Jesus is, who is simply today, just as he was when this was written, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. And then verse 14, by one offering... He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. For by one offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now that verse is very helpful in a couple of ways. One, it's an amazing reality. But who has He perfected? What is the indicator that you've been perfected? It is that you're being sanctified. He is, he's working in you, and you have a desire to be more holy and righteous even as He is. And so we have this description of an ongoing work of Christ, of transformation in the people who are already perfected. And so we see those two come together in a very beautiful way. And, and in fact, if you take that, that second sense, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. In, in some translations, it says those who are being perfected. So he's in the process of perfecting those who are already perfected before God. And what that means is that then a person who's been perfected before God doesn't need to, they can rest. They don't have to work to measure up with God. They don't have to work to try to gain His approval. They don't have to work for all of that. They can put their work into cooperating with Him and let Him perfect them and transform them more into His glorious likeness and image. And that's a lifelong quest. The Apostle Paul, many years 
down the road after he became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he's written a lot of the books that are already a part of the New Testament. He's planted all kinds of churches. He's led all people, all kinds of people to Christ. He says in Philippians, listen, I don't rest upon all that. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What's he saying there? He's not saying I'm trying to become more perfect in the eyes of God. No, he already was fully perfect. He's saying, I don't want to miss out on anything that God has for me here. I want to experience as much transformation as he can do in my life. I want, to, I want to fulfill the calling that he has upon my life. Not because I would be more perfect before him, because I'm already fully perfect. I just want to live out who I really am. And that's such a unique, unique distinction of the Christian life. We don't work to gain the approval of God. We don't, and I, I don't want to step on toes here necessarily, but it's part of what bothers me about Lent sometimes. Now, if you want to do Lent to experience more of what the Apostle Paul was saying, that's fine. But don't think that you can become any more perfect before God. What Jesus did perfected you once for all. And live in that reality. Live in that reality. And so, just kind of a funny aside, but there's the coat of arms for Australia. Now, you'll notice two animals on that, a bird that can't fly and the kangaroo, the emu and the kangaroo. Why those two animals? Well, for one, they are indigenous to Australia, and, and so they are unique to Australia. But it also, they, they share the characteristic that appealed to the Australian citizens. Both the emu and the kangaroo can only move forward. Can't move backwards. Emu, because of the way the foot are made, kangaroo has that big thing behind them. <laughs> and the Australian citizen said, that characterizes the kind of people we want to be. Always moving forward. And I think that's all the writer of Hebrews is trying to say here. Man, you're perfected. Be like the kangaroo and emu. Just move forward. Move forward in experiencing the perfection that God has already given to you in Christ. And so Jesus Christ is the people's perfecter. <laughs> Isn't that good news? And this good thing is the good news. It is the good news. So how does one experience this? How does a person experience the perfecting of Jesus Christ in both senses? Well, they're just living their life uh, probably oblivious to the fact of what the consequences of their sins are in reference to God who is holy. And they either try to dismiss that, or they think God grades on the curve, which he doesn't, um, or they think all kinds of things. Or they just try to draw near to God 
through their own personal efforts, hoping that he will be gracious and merciful to them. Some of them, that's the first line of their prayer. Oh God, be merciful to me. And somewhere along the line, someone loves them enough to begin to tell them what the scriptures say. They begin to tell them that God is perfect, heaven is perfect. To be in heaven, you have to be perfect, and you're not. And then the Spirit of God begins to work, as Jesus said, and begins to convince them of their sin and of the righteousness of God. And then there's the place for the good news that Jesus Christ did for them what they cannot do for themselves. He's the perfecter. And through his body, his life, his death, his resurrection, his coming again one day, he has accomplished everything necessary to make them perfect. And if they choose to accept that and repent and believe and to begin to follow him, what? They're one of those who are perfect in the Father's eyes. And he'll just now chip away and help perfect them until the day that he says, come on home, you are perfectly perfect. So let me ask you this. Can you say this this morning? Can you say, I have been sanctified, or I've been made holy, or I'm whole through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all? Can you say that? If you can, just go ahead and say it out loud. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that is so exhilarating and humbling all at the same time. Now, if you couldn't say that, that's okay. I couldn't say it for many years of my life either. If you couldn't say it, though, what we want to do is help you get to the point where you can say it. And so if you came with someone this morning, talk to them. Uh, we'll have some people down front. Just come up and talk. And let us help shepherding you into this great reality. Because I know it sounds too good to be true. But it is true. It is true, and it changes everything. I sat in on the emotions class with Ed this morning, and that was so helpful. And one of the points of that is, if you're grounded in reality, you can have joy. And I just, I, I knew this was coming. And one of the ways of, of translating verse 1 is, for the law, since it has only one, has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very reality of things to come. Jesus is the reality. He's the reality. And so can you say this next one then also? Go ahead and say it out loud. He has... Yeah, and let's just not miss an opportunity just to speak out loud our gratefulness to the Lord. So just say to him what you think about that reality of you. Go ahead and just say it out loud. All right, one more thing this morning. And that is, 
who that you know of needs to know this? Maybe they're a follower of Christ, but they're wrestling with this reality. Uh, Maybe they're not a follower of Christ, and they need to know this reality. So here's what I want to ask you to do. As Stephen and the team come up, I want to ask you even to pull out your phones. And I want to send you, ask you to buy, just let the Spirit give you wisdom to send this truth to someone. Now, maybe you didn't bring your phone, and that's a really good discipline, by the way, on Sunday morning. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so I'm not trying to get you to do that. But just make a note of who you should write to, who you should call, who you should say this to. Maybe when you go to school tomorrow, at work tomorrow, whatever it might be. People need to know this, don't they? That there is one who makes us perfect, and his name is Jesus.